This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The first team kicked out of the playoffs. Nope, wasn't the Tampa Bay Lightning. Toronto Maple Leafs couldn't get it done. That series is going to six. Uh, it's the Winnipeg Jets. They lose 4-1 to to the Vegas Golden Knights last night. Vegas wins the series 4-1. to uh, Let's check in with head coach Rick Bonus from the Winnipeg Jets last night. No questions? Good. Rick, just uh, overall thoughts on that one. Overall thoughts? I'm so disappointed and disgusted right now. That's my thoughts. Where does the disgust come from? Pardon me? Where does the disgust come from? No pushback. But it's the same crap we saw in February. It was. That's why we, so as soon as we were challenging for first place and teams were coming after us, we had no pushback. This series, we had no pushback. Their better players were so much better than ours, it's not even close. It was like you've been holding these feelings on for a bit. Was it just yep. out of tonight's game or finally wanted to release that? It's, it started back in January and February. What is it about this team's leadership core that, or the top end players? We've talked all we got to push back. There's got to be a pushback. There's got to be pride. You got to be able to push back when things aren't going your way. We had no pushback. Their better players were so much better than ours tonight. They deserved to win. They were the better team in the regular season. They were the better team in this series. Anything else? Good. Thanks. All right. Short and sweet post game press conference with Rick Bonas last night after the Jets. Lose to the Vegas Golden Knights, their season's done. That's one way to kick off the offseason in Winnipeg. Um, and by the way, for, for those counting, uh, Cam, I think that's eight I think that's eight times. pushbacks. <laughs> yeah. In case it was unclear what Bonus was uh, upset about. It was the lack of pushback. Eight times he said it in that clip. It's uh, That's one of the best things. It's like for, for all those people who like to watch Ocean's Eleven and count how often Brad Pitt's eating in every scene. Like you'll lose count eventually, but you feel really good about yourself if you could do it. It was eight times that he said pushback. Um, again, that's that's the start of the offseason for, for Winnipeg. We thought change would come last year. It didn't. Really, all they did was bring in Rick Bonus and strip Blake Wheeler of the C. Will change come this year? It should. I think that rant that we just heard there, over a minute long, uh, should signify the obvious, that change is needed in Winnipeg. The team on paper has always looked okay. And when you look at it, you've got a world-class goalie in Connor Hellebuck. You have players on your forward group, on your blue line, who are good players that can match up well against teams in the West, teams in the East, whatever it may be. But but they just haven't been good enough. Is that Rick Bonus's fault? Is that Kevin Sheveldayoff's fault? Is that the fault of Paul Maurice who allowed those players to form bad habits over the last several years. I think there's probably a lot of blame to go around, but at the end of the day, something needs to change. And I think that rant, that tirade was, was needed in that market. And I think if management ownership listened to that, it could finally be the tipping point that that team needs to bring in a different, you know, 
window of competition for the Winnipeg Jets because that core hasn't gotten it done. We talk about that a lot, and we talked about that a lot, excuse me, because the core is different now in Calgary. But that was a constant conversation in this market is the core hasn't gotten it done. How many more times are they going to run it back? Blake Wheeler is 37 years old. Mark Shifley, it hasn't worked. Um, those guys have one year left on their deals. They're unrestricted free agents in 2024. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a restricted free agent this summer. Um, there's lots of pieces that could be on the move, and this seems like the natural time to start bringing in some change in Winnipeg, but that's always easier said than done. Is it going to be easy to trade 37-year-old Blake Wheeler coming off just an okay year? I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois had 27 goals this season. He still had a pretty good year. Is there going to be a market for him? What's the market like for guys like Mark Shifley? What does Connor Hellebuck want to do? Does he want to go back to Winnipeg? Does he want to stick around and give it one more kick at the can? Lots of questions for the Jets, and we'll have plenty of time to dig into that. But, uh, yeah, that's the that's the first team out the Vegas Golden Knights are the first team to punch their ticket to the second round of the playoffs. Uh, it's moving day today in the NHL for all my golf fans out there. It's it's the Saturday at the Masters. There's four games tonight on the schedule around the NHL. Four games that are 3-2 in the series. Canes have a chance to move on. Islanders have a chance to make it a seven-game series. Uh, Boston, Florida in the same situation. Kraken, Avs in the same situation. Uh, and Dallas, Minnesota as well. So it's going to be a fun weekend of hockey with lots of consequential games on tap. I mean, they're always consequential in the playoffs, but this is going to be a fun weekend as we start to move towards round two. And we'll talk about all that next week here on Hockey Central. Uh, with that, we're going to go to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline because it is time for our weekly Pat chat. We have Pat Steinberg on the line. He's the host of Flames Talk. You hear him all of the time on Sports at 960 The Fan. Pat, what's up? Hi, friend. How are we doing? I'm all right. It's a, I'm feeling a little bit of a mail-it-in Friday kind of day. Oh, good. Phone-it-in Friday is <laughs> the way to go. Yeah. Phone-it-in Friday. That's why you're here. I've got Wranglers tickets for tonight. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just... You do? Uh, I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to going Fun. and watching. First, first hockey game I've been to as a fan. I guess I've been to a... I guess <sighs> the Wranglers games I've been to this year, I've kind of gone to watch but I, and I've sat in the stands but I haven't like been there as a fan with a beer or anything I've just kind of been sitting by myself watching in the stands so I've done that a bunch of times but actually going with friends and having a couple beers yeah it'll be the first time in years so I'm pretty stoked could be your last dome beer ever well they got they got got a few more years even even if everything no, no. is according to plan there's a few more years <laughs> last one dome. tonight Pat Okay. All right. It's I won't ever have another one. one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, I was just talking about the Winnipeg Jets, and we'll we'll get more into the Wranglers as well. Um, and you know, another great performance from Dustin Wolf in Game One. Game Two goes tonight at the Dome. But I wanted to kind of continue a little bit with this Jets conversation. I'm going to look at the Vegas Golden Knights side of the conversation later in the show. Ken Bolke from Sinbin Vegas is going to come on. But Winnipeg is interesting. Because there are shades of Calgary there, right? They needed a player to drag them into the fight. Obviously, we know that Winnipeg was the team that Calgary was chasing. It could have been the Flames in the first-round matchup of the playoffs. Um, and they lose the guy. Or they don't have anyone to, to drag them into the fight. And, and we got a text on the text line here. When the Flames lost Kachuk, they lost their pushback, too. One player who could drag the team into the fight. 
do you see that? Like now we're watching Winnipeg's gone. They didn't have the pushback. Calgary doesn't make the playoffs. They didn't have the pushback. They didn't have the guy. Uh, but this weekend, the Florida Panthers are going to be playing against the Boston Bruins. Actually, that's tonight. And they have a guy with the pushback. It was Matthew Kachuk with the OT winner. We heard the quote from Paul Maurice. There's lots of shades of Calgary going on here in this first round. Well, and and definitely, you know, just in terms of where the the Jets are in terms of a core that, you know, the the core for the Flames got blown up last summer, not necessarily by choice, but more so because they a couple of guys decided not to come back. But for the longest time, there had been people clamoring for things to change. Gaudreau can't get it done, and Kachuk can't get it in the playoffs. Uh, Geo can't get it done in the playoffs, so on and so forth. And then in a matter of two summers, Mark Giordano, Sean Monahan, Johnny Gaudreau, and Matthew Kachuk, all no longer members of the Calgary Flames. So it, it, it happened for the Flames, and not always by choice, but it still happened. Now here's Winnipeg. You've got free agents. You've got guys that it feels like they, they need to make some sort of change. We talked to people in Winnipeg. The consensus is that Shifley will not be back next year. And last night was his final game as a member of the Jets, the first ever draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets, Mark Shifley. And it looks like he's probably done his time in Winnipeg. Um, I, I, I heard you talking about Blake Wheeler, yeah, I don't know how much they'd be able to get for him with that massive contract. It looks more and more like a bit of an albatross. I don't know how you're going to get much value on that, but yeah, they've got they've got some real difficult decisions to make. And you know, I, I it sucks for Winnipeg because they win Game One and they have that great comeback in Game Three and lose it in overtime. But let's not forget they played basically the entire series, save for a few minutes of last night without Ehlers. They yep. didn't have Josh Morrissey. Shifley was hurt a lot, too. And Morrissey is the guy for me that, that kind of pulls them into the fight. He's kind of their their new, at least for me, kind of that new emotional leader and, and the guy that you rally around. Does it a little bit differently than Wheeler does, but still it's kind of been that guy for me. And so you don't have him in the minutes that he plays and, and the offense that he brings. That's a massive loss. Shifley goes down. That obviously is a huge loss. They kind of just – didn't really have a chance as the series went along, and that Vegas team is is no joke. Bruce Cassidy has them pinned, and they played really well. They got great goaltending from former Jet Laurent Brassois. And it's, it's just, it was not a series that I thought they were going to win to begin with, and then you throw in those injuries, and it makes it that much worse. But yeah, when you're hearing, look, we know that we know that Shifley and Bonus have not seen eye to eye. You want to go back to Flames parallels? you got a coach and a player that aren't necessarily seeing eye-to-eye. Well, that's Bonus mm-hmm. and Shifley, Bonus and, and Wheeler. It feels like those are the two guys that you're talking about most. So I'm fascinated to see what happens for Winnipeg this summer. You know, unlike here in Calgary where it feels like the coach is, is hanging in the balance right now, it feels yeah. like Bonus is set in Winnipeg, and it's more the fates of Shifley and Wheeler that are hanging in the balance, whereas here it kind of feels like Kadri and Huberdo are set and and more so the future of Daryl Sutter kind of hanging in the balance, but definitely some parallels there. Absolutely. So let's let's go into the the Flames conversation a bit here, Pat. It's going to be a long off season. We know there's a lengthy to do list, uh, 
But the temperature check right now is interesting because there's no GM. We know that uh, Don Maloney is the interim GM, but they're going to be looking for, you know, the next guys. It could be Craig Conroy. Is it going to be Brad Pascal, someone from outside of the organization? And then there's also this big question mark around Daryl Sutter and his future with the organization. Um, where do you think things stand for the Flames as we talk about this right now on uh, April 28th? Well, I think right now they're continuing to figure out what exactly they're going to do with the head coach. I can't imagine that it would be too much longer until we get some sort of update there. And whether it's an official update from the Flames or if we're getting insider updates saying, hey, you know, Elliot, I mean, Elliot says I'm, I'm hearing that um, Daryl Sutter will remain as head coach of the Calgary Flames, that type of stuff. Uh, but I really do think that they're – debating they're going through all of the things that they heard on locker cloud day and determining how much of that was not legit but how much of that was this is stuff we need to act on and how much of it was yeah this is an emotional end to a frustrating season and kind of disseminating what's the stuff that they should be looking at and taking truly into account and what's the stuff that maybe you can discount a little bit more just because of the proximity and and how close it was to the season being over but I I think they're making a decision there and I think that they are really trying to figure out whether or not they can come back with a tenable situation with this group of players and have Daryl Sutter as the head coach and and if you know it, it comes down to in a lot of ways, if there is not an ability, and maybe there is, and, and this would probably be best case scenario, I guess, but maybe there is a way for Jonathan Huberto and, and Daryl Sutter to get on the, on the same page. Maybe the same is true about some of the other guys who haven't been on the same page with this head coach this, this past year. So if you can do that, sure. If you can't, well, then you kind of got to choose which direction you're going. Are you going to keep the players that, that, there's all kinds of rumor and innuendo out there that suggests that there's a number of players who just don't have interest in continuing forward with the Flames with Daryl as head coach. Do you go that direction um, and say, okay, we'd like you to stay. We, were, we will make the coaching change. Or do you go in the direction of this is our coach and we're going to build a team for who our coach is? That's, that's I think, what they're deciding yeah. right now. That's what I think the situation is right now. And I, I can't imagine that we're talking about a whole lot longer that this ends up dragging on, dragging on for. Well, because depending on which way they go, there's going to be different workloads, right? Like we've heard some of the uh, insiders, like Frank Saravelli had Elias Lindholm on his trade bait board. We've heard from insiders that there are some players who would not like to be back if Daryl Sutter's the coach next year. Um, so, like, if he is the coach and you have players who want to go out the door, then the GM's going to have some trades to potentially facilitate and some pretty massive holes to fill up and down the lineup. So this, you want to wait so you can get the right person because you're not going to be hiring a GM from an organization that's in the middle of the playoffs. Uh, but you also don't want to wait until the last minute because <laughs> you're going to have a lot to do. Yeah, and I'm, well, here's the here's the other really interesting part of this whole thing is that you've got this decision that I think uh, on on the future of the head coach that is being made by Don Maloney and and Murray Edwards and John Bean and all that type of stuff. You've got that going on right now for sure, and I think that that will determine whether or not Daryl continues on as head coach. But what I don't know about 
But what I have a strong opinion on is whether or not it, if they decide that Daryl Sutter should continue being the head coach, I still think because that, that'll probably come before they name a general manager. I still think that they need to bring or, or give whoever they bring in as general manager actual autonomy to make his own decisions. So say that say that they do decide that it's going to be uh, Daryl Sutter who continues on as head coach. Okay, great. But then you got to say to the new GM, okay, we've decided that Daryl's going to be our coach for now, but as the new general manager, we are giving you the keys to hockey operations. You're going to be the guy who sets the direction of this team. And if you believe Daryl's the coach, great. If you don't believe Daryl's the coach, well, then we'll make the change. So, I think that that is maybe the most important part for me. I think making a decision on Daryl Sutter is interesting. It'll give us lots to talk about and is significant. But if they don't give the general manager autonomy to make that type of call and they come in and handcuff a coach to this GM, I, I just I think you're cutting your legs off at the knee before the new GM even starts. So to me, that's the number one priority is name a GM and allow that GM to actually have full autonomy on what he's going to do. And I, I think there's a possibility to do that. I know there is a um, perception that Daryl Sutter is bulletproof right now, and maybe he is. I don't know. We don't know at this point. Mm-hmm. But I don't think yeah. that he should be in terms of what the new GM decides. I just don't think that's a great way to start a tenure for a new general manager is basically telling him who his head coach is. That, that to me, is, is not the way that you go about building a winning team. Well, you're probably going to chop off a, a bunch of candidates from the list if that's going to be the way that things go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> People are not going to be very interested in that. Um, let's go Let's go to the Wranglers here, Pat, because um, you're going to the game tonight, so we're, tr- we're not going to try to – I'm not going to make you work here when we're talking about the Wranglers. Like, you can go and have fun later. But to put on the scouting hat right now – have you seen a bigger season from a Flames prospect than you have from Dustin Wolf this year? Oof, over the years, I don't know if there's really been one that, that... I mean, I guess in terms of excitement for a Flames prospect, there's been a few that have kind of been close for me. So there was the year that Sam Bennett was drafted. So Bennett got drafted in 2014, came to camp in 2014, either, I don't remember if shoulder injury or if he sustained the injury in camp, but basically um, tried to play through it and tell the flame, like not tell the flames about it because he wanted to play in the NHL. Um, But he ended up, he ended up, yeah, it's a great start. Uh, but he ended up missing the the rest of training camp, didn't start the year uh, in the NHL or OHL, and it wasn't until, I want to say, February, January, when he was able to start his season after shoulder surgery, he went back to Kingston in the O and was like two points a game. And you're like, okay, uh, that's pretty exciting. So he, he ended up getting those two points a game in the Ontario Hockey League. His season finished in Kingston, joined the Flames for Game 82 in Winnipeg, picked up a point and then was with them for the 2015 playoffs when they went uh, six and five against Vancouver and Anaheim. So that was pretty exciting. And people were pretty excited about Sam Bennett after that year. Obviously it didn't go the way that everybody had hoped. And then another somewhat 
um, cautionary tale would be the tale of Sven Berchi, who was a first-round pick of the Flames going back to 2011. They picked him, and he had a great year in Portland. He was outstanding that year and, again, was kind of hovering around or just under two points per game, if I remember correctly. And then he got a little bit of an emergency recall, came in, played five games at the Flames in the late winter, early spring, scored three goals in five games. And again, people were buzzing about Berchi and like, okay, well, this guy's the future of the Flames. And, and again, never really lived up to those expectations. Those would be the two that I can remember in my tenure covering this team full time that have kind of been similar to what we've seen from Dustin Wolf this year. And, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Pelche and Phillips, who had both really strong seasons in the American League. But Wolf is your goalie of the year and your American League MVP. He's still in his early 20s. His, his first year in the American League was great, and then he built on it. We weren't sure if he was going to be able to maintain, build on it. Does he take a step back? Well, he gets even better. So all mm-hmm. those things, yeah, I think this is one of the more exciting prospects years that I can remember for a, a player drafted by the Flames and you know it's really I mean Tyler Parsons had a good year as a goalie but nothing like this and it was still in junior hockey this is in the second best league in North America maybe the second best league in the world and Dustin Wolf is making it look like it's it's his backyard so it it I, I can't remember anything quite like this when it comes to all right, now how do you get him in? And I think it's because he's a goaltender, because it's easier to bring a forward in. It's easier to bring a defenseman in and just say, here you go, this is your succession plan. Whereas with goaltenders, you worry about rushing them. You worry about, are you? Is it, is it too early for the NHL? You worry about those things, and you have to take all those things into account. And in doing that, you kind of kind of figure out exactly the right way to handle it. And you also have both Dan Vladar and Jacob Markstrom under contract. You've got Markstrom with a no-move clause. So there's a lot of things that come into it and a lot of things to take into account. But no, to answer the original question, I... Probably not anything quite like this. Bennett and Berchi, those were exciting years. But for Dustin Wolf, this guy has done the things that I, I don't think any Flames prospect has really done to this extent, especially at this level. And regardless of position, what he's been able to do is pretty, pretty spectacular from a Flames standpoint. Is there a world where he plays in the NHL next year? Yeah, yeah, I think there is. And and I think there's a few ways. There's kind of two ways that you could go about it, in, in my opinion, two realistic ways. And I think one of these two ways needs to be explored. I lean more towards the first idea as opposed to the second, at least right off the bat. But I think you've got – so the first idea would be I think you've got an opportunity as one of the teams in the NHL that also has – their American League team in the same city, that you can kind of shuttle the player and use them sometimes when the schedule allows. And, you know, if there's a, a week where the Wranglers are at home but not playing, which we see lots in the American League where you go for mm-hmm. four or five days during the week without playing, well, they'd be in Calgary at that time. And they'd be practicing up at Windsport. And so you could very easily be like, okay, well, you know, the Flames play – 
Tuesday and Thursday at home while the Wranglers are at Winsport. Let's get Wolf a game in there. And and so you could use that to your advantage a number of times. And so you're not really having a three-headed goaltender monster because you're not having to worry about three goalies in practice. You're not having to worry about three goalies on your salary cap on a regular basis. It's just a quick one-day or two-day shuffle in and out, and you go from there. So that is the way that I have proposed to go about doing it, at least in the early stages. And then if all of a sudden Dustin Wolf is like, okay, well, this guy is clearly ready for the NHL. It makes no no more sense to to keep doing the shuttle thing. Well, then you can make a couple of decisions. You could try going with three goalies for a little bit. You could trade a goalie. You could, there's just a lot of things that you could do. I just don't think, and the other option would be trade a goalie, Probably Vladar, just based on Markstrom's contract and no move. Probably mm-hmm. trade Vladar this summer and then make Wolf your backup for next year. I just don't I'm, – I'm not saying that, that w- wouldn't work or that it's, it's wrong. It's great to I, have him as a backup knowing how – I mean, and this is where – and sorry to cut you off, Pat, but like yeah, this is right. where the Daryl Sutter conversation comes in, right? Because if Daryl's the coach, well, then Dustin Wolf's probably not going to play well, a whole lot. So is it good for Dustin Wolf to be the backup if he's just going to sit there and play? Like – so pick, there's a big web here this summer, isn't there? <laughs> there really is. And, and again, if Daryl Sutter's the head coach, I don't know if he'd have any interest in doing the option that I just threw out there as kind of option one and shuttling him in and out. I, don't, I have no idea if Daryl would even consider doing that. Um, I don't think it would be a super surprising thing if, you, if that, that was something that he had no interest in doing just based on how he has operated in the past and even some of the things that he talked about this year. But I just think... I think you need to take a step with Wolf this year in terms of his progression. I don't think just having him, oh, you know what, you're going to be in the American League for another full year. I don't think graduating him full-time to the NHL this summer and basically proclaiming that is the way to go. I think you maybe have an intermediate step there in between, and then you can do that. That's me, and I think that covers you a little bit more, both on the flame side if Wolf isn't ready, um, that, then you're covered and you still have two guys that you're confident in. And on the Wolf side, if he's not ready, it covers you in terms of you're protecting him and allowing his progression to still be healthy and still be, you know, not rushed. And so that's why I lean towards more of a hybrid method. But whatever happens, I just don't think a full year in the American League is the way to go. But I do think he will spend some time in the AHL next year and and maybe most of the season there. And even if it was a full season, I still don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Like if you really, really want to um, hothouse and and really delay and uh, overdevelop goaltenders, I don't really have a problem with that. But I do think if you could take a step from one NHL start to say eight to 12 NHL starts next year, that to me would be enough to prove to the player that this progression plan is ongoing and it would also help in the player's development plan as well. I think you could look at what the Bruins have done with Jeremy Swayman as a pretty decent roadmap for Dustin Wolf and it just so happens that Dan Vladar was, you know, kind of sent out of Boston because they had a young guy like Jeremy Swayman that they wanted to give more starts yeah. too, right? Like it's it's pretty similar. And Vladar was moved out of Boston to to make more. Like you know, Swayman was already the guy. They've got their one two and Allmark and Swayman. Like it's kind of a casualty of the depth that the Bruins had. But you know, Swayman didn't play as much 
in the American Hockey League. Mind you, he had three solid seasons in the NCAA before he went pro. So it's a little bit different coming from Dustin Wolf being in junior. And obviously he's a smaller goalie, as everybody likes to talk about. But there's a bit of a roadmap there. Nothing wrong with, you know, having two guys in Boston who are going to split, who are going to split the games. But we also know that the head coach right now doesn't like splitting, <laughs> splitting the starts. So yes. that's the, that's the big consideration with this. I, I don't think that Dustin Wolf has anything left to prove in the American Hockey League. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. The Vegas Golden Knights became the first team to punch their ticket to round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs last night with a 4-1 victory over the Winnipeg Jets. We heard the, uh, we heard the clip that's been going around all day from Rick Bonus about his Winnipeg Jets, the disappointment and disgust of the way they played. No pushback. Pushback is the word of the day. Um, a kind of a fun takeaway. Seven series are still up for grabs. Four games tonight, four series could be over, but we're almost two weeks into the Stanley Cup playoffs and lots of uh, teams are still alive. Only one's kicked out, only one has punched their ticket. As I mentioned, uh, this is from Eric Dehatchik from The Athletic. According to the NHL, it's only the fifth time in league history uh, where seven or more series will require six or more games to decide. So... This doesn't happen often, so lots of good hockey coming up this weekend. We'll talk about it next week. But before that, uh, let's talk about the Vegas Golden Knights as we head to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Ken Bolke from Sinbin Vegas is here. Vegas, first one through. Uh, how was uh, how are the Golden Knights able to handle Winnipeg so easy to the point where Rick Bonus just was disgusted with his team, Ken? And, and thanks for hopping on the show today. Yeah, I was in the room when he was when he <laughs> went on that tirade for fifty seconds. It was wild. I, I don't think I've ever seen that out of Rick Bonus. Usually he's all calm and whatever. He was he was hot last night. That was fun. It uh I think to answer your question, I think basically what they did was they started to get their four check going. They started to be a little bit more physical in the offensive zone and as the Jets offense kind of broke down with Morrissey going out and then Shifley and Ehlers not coming back and really not looking himself when he did come back. They started putting a lot of pressure on that decor that's not particularly great, forcing them to turn the puck over. And from there, I think everything kind of just snowballed in the Golden Knights' direction. Neutral zone gets locked up. They start getting out of their D zone a lot easier. And I just think it really started with forecheck. Was that the best game of the series for Vegas to kind of finish off that gentleman sweep? It just seemed like they're getting good goaltending. Uh, Mark Stone is back. He and Chandler Stevenson have great chemistry. You know, Alex Petrangelo looks great. Sure, there's you maybe want some more offense from Riley Smith right now, but it seems like the Golden Knights are checking a lot of boxes uh, and kind of peaking at the right time here. Is that way off of me, or is that kind of what you're seeing from this group? No, I think not only was it the best game of the series, I think that's one of the Golden Knights' best games of the year. And maybe third period kind of falls apart a little. Bonus pulls the goalie with eight minutes, and they really didn't get a clear <laughs> the entire time. So it doesn't look as good. But when you go out and just blitz a team to the tune of four to nothing in a, in a closeout game where they're pretty much demoralized anyway, like that's exactly what you're looking for. And they did it with four lines. They did it with two defensemen they had a full defense pair out McNabb and Theodore were both out last night and that seemed to not matter at all it was 
it was just a clinic for the first 40 minutes of that game where they're just all over the Jets in all three zones. It was, it was, it was really impressive. And, and now the question becomes is like, how much of that is the Golden Knights all of a sudden becoming the team that we thought they could potentially become? And how much of that is the Jets having, quote, no pushback? Sure. What do you think? Where do you stand on that? I kind of somewhere in between. I do think the Jets kind of quit on that series, and I don't fully understand why. Uh, I think that, like, I get that they ran out of players and, you know, you lose your top scorer and your top defenseman and, you know, you're banged up. I get it. But at the same time, like, there's more to that Jets team than what we saw. But then you look at Vegas, and when they're playing their style of game, they're pretty dangerous. I, I, I think that this is a good Golden Knights team. This is potentially a very good Golden Knights team. But they're, they're in for a much different animal in the second round, no matter who happens to get through. What's the better matchup, in your opinion? Is it L.A. or Edmonton? And we got to wait a while. Well, we could, we could know Maybe. by the weekend, but the schedule with the, with the Edmonton-L.A. series, they haven't played since Tuesday. They don't play again until tomorrow on Saturday night. Uh, I think it's because the NBA playoff schedule threw everything, threw everything out of whack. But, but the Vegas Golden Knights are waiting to find out if they play the Kings or the Oilers. Which is the better matchup for the... Vegas Golden Knights, and I feel like the answer, like you want, like the better matchup is L.A., but maybe like the the hockey fan wants Edmonton. I don't know. How are you feeling about that? That's exactly right. That's pretty much exactly where I'm at. I think the Golden Knights have a slightly better chance of beating L.A., but there's a part of me as as a journalist, as a fan, as somebody covering this team and following the Golden Knights for as long as I have, it's like, ooh, would it be fun to see what they look like in a playoff series against McDavid and Dreisaitl. I, I think there's, there's unique challenges to both of them, and the style of hockey would be so unbelievably different in the two series that there's definitely a path for the Golden Knights to win both of them. There's also a pretty strong path for them to struggle in both of those series. Like, the offense got going in, in this series against the Jets, and that's probably not going to happen if they play against uh, the Kings. Like, Kopitar have been unbelievable against the Golden Knights. Deneau was phenomenal in that uh, conference final series a couple of years ago, shutting down Mark Stone and company. I would imagine he'd be able to do the same. But the opposite is if you play Winnipeg or if you play Edmonton, like McDavid hasn't even gotten going, and they're still up three two, and they're still playing the way that they're doing, scoring like they are. Like I just think they're they're on another level, and if and if they can close out the Kings and, and get through that kind of gauntlet that is playing against the Kings. I think they're going to be in good shape, and, and I, I think it's going to be a tough task for the Golden Knights to get that done. So I would say they're better off playing L.A., but it's not by a ton. Uh, looking at the goalie picture here for Vegas, four different goalies, Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill, Laurent Bossois, and Jonathan Quick played at least 10 games for the Golden Knights this season. It's been Bossois who's been the number one guy. He played all five games for the Golden Knights in the playoffs so far. Should we be surprised that that's who they tapped to be the number one at this point in the postseason? Like, are they locked in on that? Do you think Bruce Cassidy would change that? I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt to have options. But from the outside right. looking in, I, I feel like I was maybe pleasantly surprised, I guess I should say, that it was Bossois who, who got tapped as, as the guy heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I think if you were to look at it with just the four names and then even the seasons that each of them have, it certainly would be like, well, that's kind of odd that Bressois ends up landing on being the guy. But yeah. kind of the way that it worked out, there wasn't really much of an option for Cassidy going in. So Thompson got hurt. 
his last full game was in January. And then, you know, that was before the all-star break. He went to the all-star game and they've actually kind of discussed that it was possibly even got further hurt there. So maybe there's something to look into there at some point, but he hasn't played a full game since then. Has gotten hurt multiple times in practice. So despite being the starter, basically the entirety of the year, he's never really been an option. He has not even skated. He was in the locker room in a suit yesterday. Like he's, he's not an option at all. Hill was hurt for a good portion of the back end of the season as well. And he played an AHL game on a conditioning loan. And then they were trying to win these games to make sure they didn't have to go to LA in the first round. So it was mostly quick and bressois down the stretch. So he hasn't been in a game for a little bit over a month. And then there was quick who was pretty clearly being outplayed by bressois down the stretch bressois. I think it was 12 games in the regular season that he didn't have a loss in regulation. Now he's got four or five playoff games under his belt where the only one that they lost the team was abysmal. So it really wasn't his fault. So he's pretty much grabbed hold of this and moving forward. I don't even know how they're going to get him out of there. Cause however these games go, like they're, they, yeah, they may lose a few here or there, but he's already got four consecutive wins under his belt. He's got the regular season that he had it's going to be tough to get him out of there. I, I think it takes two, maybe even three losses in a row. And by that point, you're probably too late in the series anyway for it to matter. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the big topics to, to get into with this Golden Knights team is Mark Stone is back. He's one of the most fun players to watch. How does he change the complexion of this Golden Knights team when he's healthy and in the lineup? Yeah, that goal last night. My goodness. Incredible. unbelievably ramps it up his <laughs> stick and then knocks it down to himself and catches it and turns around and just well, unbelievable. I try tweeted that it's like a Harlem Globetrotter type thing. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I think for him, like the, the, the biggest thing is he offers something that there aren't many hockey players in the world that offer. Like he is just, he's unbelievable off the puck, both offensively and defensively in that, Anytime he's out there, there's a good chance that you're going to get a quick transition chance because of his vision when he has it, his vision when he's off the puck, is what he does defensively. And really just it sets them up to have a lot more balanced of a lineup. They now have two options. Their, their current lineup is effectively like a balanced lineup where they have three different pairs of players and then kind of a spare part along the way. Uh, he's playing with Stevenson. That's gone really well. Carlson and Smith and then Eichel and Marcia. So then they have somebody else with them. They also have the option to then load up to something that they used to go to in the past, which was Stevenson, Eichel and Stone, and then Marcia. So Carlson and Smith. So they have these two different options and it gives them really multiple different looks. That's going to make matchups really difficult throughout the entirety of the se- of, of the playoffs. The first series, they didn't really have to go to anything but that depth because their team was deeper than the Jets. And that's, especially with the Jets injuries. Moving forward, as we get into the next round, it'll be interesting to see, do they load it back up? Do they start try and stay with that depth? But Stone gives them all those options. Without him, they don't really have that extra piece that can kind of drive a line on his own. And so that's kind of probably the biggest thing that he offers, other than his, his madness that is his celebrations and his heart and his just the, the, the person Mark Stone is. He's nuts. It's funny because, you know, you talk to him sometimes and he seems kind of low-key, like a dry sense of mm-hmm. humor, and then he scores a goal yeah. and it's just a completely different person. He just goes absolutely just, yeah, crazy. Like Jack He's like box. that in yeah. Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, just unbelievable. Um, what have you thought about Jack Eichel through his first playoff round? Uh, I thought the first game was not his best. I thought he kind of needed to 
truly understand what the intensity level is going to be in the playoffs. I thought, you know, kind of going in to defend a couple of times, it wasn't good. I think that opened his eyes pretty quickly, and he was a lot better in the next couple of games. I do think offensively, especially at five-on-five, we really haven't seen him be the driving force to this point, and I think that's got to be a bit concerning for the Golden Knights because they were trying to find the matchups. If you look at who played the least against the, really the Jets' only truly dangerous line, uh, it was Eichel. So he he was kind of given some of these better opportunities, and that did mean a lot more of Adam Lowry, and he was real good in the series. But I think he needs to continue driving offense a little bit more. He did a good job of drawing penalties when he was out there. Dubois took a couple against them. Uh, he, he is kind of using that speed a little bit more, but you'd like to see him get Marsha so more involved. You'd like to see if Barbashev was out there. They were very good for checking in the last game. I think you want to see more of that. If they're going to really do what they need to do, it can't be all Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson. It's going to have to be Eichel taking over certain games himself or at least carrying the mail for a good portion of the game. And to me, that hasn't necessarily happened despite, I think the numbers are actually halfway decent through one round, but I think he still has another level to go. And it it, it remains to be seen if he has that level in him in the playoffs. Um, One more question here. We got maybe two more minutes left with you, Ken, before we let you go and and head out for our weekend. Lots of hockey games. I'm going to be sitting on my couch and watching. Um, as we transition to, to round two, is there anybody who you specifically think has the potential to make a bigger contribution? Um, as you were just discussing, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it is Jack Eichel, but is there somebody else that you've kind of circled that you think has the potential to be a bigger contributor in round two, whether it's against LA or Edmonton? I think the biggest name that jumps off is one that you mentioned earlier, which is Riley Smith. Uh, he had a good season. He's typically going to the better goal scorers for the Golden Knights, certainly a good assist guy as well. And with Carlson having as good of a series as he did, I think he had four goals in that series, you'd expect a little bit more out of him. So I would start with him. Marsha is another one. I think that's just a matter of time. He, he kind of can be a streaky scorer at different times. I'm not that worried about him. And then the last one is, is Theodore. So he was not very good really at all for the first three or four games or three games of the series. Then he puts up three points in game four and really was a huge catalyst of how that game went from really close to all of a sudden the Golden Knights have run away with it. And he goes out with this illness. We don't really know what happened yesterday. He took warmups and then he takes this illness and he's gone. Uh, So we'll see what happens moving forward. But he's, he's a huge offensive piece and, and he kind of gives them that like, that balance up and down the lineup where it doesn't matter what line he's out there with. He can, he can get the job done. So I would say probably him and Smith. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Ken. We'll have to check back in round two, three, depending how long uh, Vegas hangs in there. I'm excited to watch. Uh, They've been a great team in the postseason so far. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, hopefully they make it all the way into June. I'd, I'd enjoy that. (laughs) You don't want the vacation. You don't want to take time off. No, there's plenty of summer left. The next season doesn't start till October. Let's go. Keep going. You're right. We're kind of back on track with the schedule, so it's not like, okay, let's take a little rest for three weeks and then right back at it. So, yeah. Yeah, you and now right. I, I don't go. have to go Vegas to Winnipeg until anymore, June. right? Yes, there you go. And less trips to Winnipeg. <laughs> That's a win. Absolutely. Right. Maybe, maybe some trips to Edmonton, though. Hey, I'll take that. All right. Thanks for doing this, Ken. Appreciate it. See ya. Thanks for having me.
There goes Ken Bulky from Sinbin Vegas. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, again, first team to punch their ticket to round two. Uh, they await the end of the L.A. Edmonton series. That is, they haven't played since Tuesday. Thanks a lot, basketball. Uh, but that's all the time that we have for today on Hockey Central 960. We will see everybody next week. Have a nice weekend. Thank you.